0: Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. On this episode, Tom chats with Jeff Bodwine, Operations Manager at AmeriShred Corps. Jeff is an engineer by training, but has been involved in manufacturing, sales, design, and layout of shredding plants for shred operators for many years. He provides valuable insights on the thinking and planning required for a new plant-based operation and weighs in on how existing operators should think about optimizing and ensuring the long-term success of the machinery they have. Jeff Bodwine, welcome to the Shred Coach podcast. I'm glad you're here. Well, thanks for having me today, Tom. Yeah, it's good to it's good to talk to you. So, tell me a bit about the company you work for, the role you play, and then uh, dig in a little bit deeper and tell me what an average day looks like for you. Okay, so uh, the company I work for is uh, a Corporation. Uh, a lot of people in your audience
1: are probably familiar with our equipment. Been in the shredding industry for oh, about 40 years now. My role currently with the company is the vice president of operations. So a typical day for me is kind of overseeing all of the operations of the business so I oversee the sales team, engineering, manufacturing and also the service team. You know by trade I'm a, an engineer at heart and by degree so I'm always drawn to that side of the business so I do probably spend a little more time with the design and manufacturing teams. But I do really enjoy you know working with customers, helping understand some of the new applications that come our way and and working on plant layouts. They even make quite a few site visits to some of the customer locations that we're going to place equipment with.
0: Got it. So give me a picture of like how many secure shredding companies have you worked at? You said 40 years. So like that's this is a long time. <laughs> and you guys have been around for a long time. And but tell me a little bit about the nature of the work you've done with them. I know you just said site visits, but again, from. You run operations, you're an engineer by training. So when you go and work with a shredding company, tell me a little bit about what an engagement looks like from your perspective. Oh, um, I've been with the company
1: about 20 years. I actually was a co-op student here during my college years and hired on full-time immediately after. Prior to that, my father's actually worked for the company. So I've been working on shredders since I was probably 12 or 14 years old. So I've, in all capacities, I've went out and been covered in grease from head to toe and torn machines apart and rebuilt them uh, out in the field. Uh, I've done a lot of new installations. When we do site visits, a lot of times we go out with customers and, you know, walk their building and make sure that the building's a good fit for the equipment, number one. And if it's not, talk about ways that maybe it could be improved, if that's, you know, adding different access points or additional loading docks or things like that. And also interact with, you know, customers daily over the phone with questions and even help troubleshoot stuff.
0: Not as much as I used to, but you still get a few calls here and there. Yeah. So in your work with these shredding companies and in all of the interactions you've had over the 20 plus years you've been doing this, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen shred operators making related to their equipment and their shredding system, like you said, within the the context of the building? So what are are some of the mistakes you see? What are some of the issues that you see showing up? Well, I guess with the
1: equipment in particular, it's generally people kind of underestimate their production needs. Mm. I know a lot of equipment is purchased based on budget and and I understand that side of it as well. But I think a lot of people aren't necessarily looking forward to the future as much as they should be. So they, they buy a piece of equipment that can meet exactly what they need to do today. And then a few months or a year down the road, they find themselves working the machine eight to 10 to 12 hours a day to keep up. Where had they bought a, a slightly larger system up front, that wouldn't be the issue. So you see excess labor and then you see excess wear and tear on equipment like that, too. That's being overworked, you know, trying to do
0: to keep up with a volume that maybe it's not set up to do. Uh, so so, so how how from your perspective, because you've been doing this a long time, how do you accurately estimate your future production needs? Like what what's a process that you work a customer through to make sure they're actually seeing the future?
1: Well, there's a few ways. I mean, part of it is just to look at the geographical area people are in and in based on population density you can kind of determine you know what kind of paper volume there is a lot of customers nowadays when they come to us for plant based they've already been involved in the shredding business on a mobile side so you kind of have a good idea of what their what their volume of paper is there which kind of presents another thing we can help them you know bail some of that paper with a mobile bailing setup but we can also help them show them the savings that could come by converting some of those clients to more plant based destruction and bringing that paper back in the in the
0: house to to destroy right Right. So the first major error that you see people making or mistake is underestimating that future production need. And and do you see that in like one year periods or is it even shorter than that sometimes?
1: We've seen it in both. In document destruction, it's usually like a, a one year period is probably the okay. shortest. Or we've seen it more now as in, in hard drive destruction. We've seen people, mm. we, we do sell a small machine. It's a 120 volt unit. So a lot of people are drawn to that, you know, Price-wise, it's priced very competitively and it does the job. But as soon as they hang their shingle out saying they're doing hard drives, all of a sudden the volume is way more than, than that machine's intended to do. Got it. Okay. Uh, so we've seen we've seen that and we've seen people buy a one-horse machine and three months later they're calling us for a 10 or 20-horsepower machine you know, to keep up with the volume that they've found.
0: Right. So it once you have the system set up, but it, it really comes back to making sure you're doing some advanced planning and some, I guess, analytics and understanding the nature of your marketplace. Maybe more specifically, if you're not an existing operator, if you're getting into this new, it's really more important to do some of that advanced work so that you're not underbuying your machine.
1: Absolutely. The, The other part, I guess, is understanding, you know, if you're a startup and you're just a one man operation, or if you have employees, a lot of times too, we see with shredding equipment, if you have employees, it's sometimes you try to size that equipment so that you're Shredding can actually be done in you know twenty hours out of the week, and then the other twenty hours that employees' time are available to do all of the other things that are, you know, pertinent to the business, like loading trucks or unloading mm. trucks or servicing clients and things like that. So, so there's kind of that mindset too. If you have employees, that's one way to think about it as well. You don't just want somebody standing at a shredder forty hours a week, right? Uh, if you have the right. volume, great, but I mean, most people don't have the the volume for that. So that way, one
0: employee can you know do multiple jobs for you. So what other mistakes are you seeing in the world of buying and implementing shredding systems? Some of it,
1: some of it's building related and I don't want to necessarily say it's a mistake, but I know real estate markets are, are are different in different areas, but we see people kind of sometimes acquire buildings that are way too small and they ask you to pack a lot of equipment in a space that it really doesn't fit. And we can always make the equipment fit, but sometimes the operational flow of it's not so great once it's all in there and they're trying to move around, you know, there's no space to stage things and to move bales and and make space for incoming documents. So that's one of the other issues, I guess, is make sure that the space that's available is, is big enough.
0: Or, or if
1: you move in a multi-complex building that maybe make sure that the space on either side of you could become available as your business mm, grows, something like that.
0: Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, in, in some respects, I think a lot of times People buy buildings and then attempt to fit stuff into it. But it sounds like if you're actually thinking about this and you got future plans, it might make sense to map out the kind of building you need and then buy the building after the fact. Exactly. Get with
1: a get with a manufacturer and have them do some equipment layout. Uh, and it gives you an idea of the size that you would need for that system. We can lay in the equipment and we can also lay in you know, bale storage and container storage and truck unloading areas and then make sure you have enough loading docks typically you want to have more than one especially if you're doing any kind of volume because most of the paper companies will stage a trailer at your facility so you can put the bales in it Mm. so one of your docks is kind of tied up for that at all times and then you need at least another dock for your own trucks to bring material in and out
0: right right so so in terms of of because i know you make much of the base shredding equipment but you know shredding systems are wrapped you know with a whole bunch of stuff from conveyors to balers to all that kind of stuff is part of you know an effective planning process to eat to understand in advance what all the pieces of equipment and how they all fit together you know because i i see because i've been in many of the the plants that you guys have built or put put your equipment in and you know Not everyone has the same, even though they have capacity or the space, they have very different requirements for stuff. So it's not like, you know, some of them want it to go a certain way and they want the line to go a certain way and they have a cross, you know, they have two, two machines. And so it's not always just about space. It's about all these different pieces and parts that go into it. So how, how do you think through and what are mistakes you see in terms of the all of the extras that go into these systems versus just the 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 plain the base shredding equipment itself. Well, that's
1: a, that's a great question, but it is important to have an understanding of all of the equipment that you're going to need. Um, and to your point, some of these shredding facilities have they have just a single shredder, and then others have a cross shred system. And and do we want to set those machines actually at ninety degrees so we get a better an actual better cross shred, or some are set in line? A lot of that is dependent on the building. The shredders themselves are. Fairly fixed in dimension. I mean, we we customize a lot of things as well. But the conveyors is kind of what allows us to customize the system because those are easy to configure, either longer, shorter. You know, we can change angles and inclines, so it helps with that. Uh, and then some of these companies are also involved in product destruction, so they have other equipment. They may have a whole separate shred line off to the side that yes does clothing or rejected products or Consumable goods, you name it they're they're destroying that to keep that from you know entering a, a black market or a secondary market, or sometimes to keep consumers safe just to keep that out of the market so there's there's all of that as well so those are all things to consider when someone's setting up a facility you know if you have any inclination to doing that, even if you're not going to do it up front, just kind of pre-planning all of that so in the future, if your business grows into that, you have space allocated for it.
0: Right. And then, and then, you know, and, and this is, while this has been around a while, more recently, there's been a real uptick and you mentioned it earlier in terms of some of the e-scrap hard drive SSD kind of shredders that are added. And that can't be connected to your paper, you know, to your paper line. You got (laughs) to think very differently
1: about that. Correct. Those are two very different processes uh, and two very different materials. And, you know, the, the processing of the e-scrap and the hard drives can, you know, Can generate some sparks and things too which obviously do not mix well with paper so those so those two things do need to be kept kept very separate the benefit i guess in the hard drive shredding side is it typically doesn't require a lot of space a smaller machine can still process thousands of drives a day um, which is you know high volume for for most people especially in the document industry they're kind of crossing over so so that is a pretty easy thing to add to your current offering Um, even if you even if you are limited with space Yeah.
0: yeah So and any other issues or mistakes you're seeing people making, because as they're thinking about their their plants, their operations in terms of configuring it at the beginning, we'll go into some some after the fact stuff. But like right off, what else do you see? I mean, people sit down with you and they say, I want to do this. And where do you often have to say, "Okay, put on the brakes? You're going the wrong direction there. Well, we typically don't put breaks on unless they're really headed down a a really bad path. I think some
1: people have over, maybe they overestimate what they can get for a dollar <laughs> um, at times. So they want to develop something that's much more than maybe what their budget allows at the moment. So then we mm-hmm. try to work with them to pare it back to, to give them as much of that as we can, but also kind of stay within a budget. Cause we understand that everyone, you know, every business has a budget. You have to make the numbers right. work at the end of the day. The other thing that may come into play is a lot of times is like pit conveyors. Um, It's always Mm. nicer to have a pit conveyor because it's easier to sweep things into and and definitely easier to put material into. But you run into issues where if you lease a building or you're renting a building, sometimes that's not, you know, the landlord doesn't allow that. Sometimes there's city ordinances that maybe don't allow it or, or things like that. Um, And then sometimes buildings have plumbing and other things running through them that don't allow that either. Oh, Um, through the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've found that out the hard way in a few customer sites, you know, they dig up a floor and Oh, there's a conduit, or there's a, a plumbing, and, and then you have to kind of pivot and figure out how to work around that. But I guess there's no call before you dig,
0: kind of uh, services in. building. Well, it,
1: right? I mean, most of the buildings <laughs> have architectural prints, but unfortunately, right. sometimes it's not where it says it's supposed
0: to be. So, right, yeah, it's a, there's been a workaround somewhere else. In, yeah. in previous days. So, yeah, something in the production of the building
1: initially didn't didn't jive with the actual blueprints. So.
0: All right, so a brand new operator comes to you and they've decided they're not going the mobile route, they're going plant-based. And they just they've got no they've got no existing constraints. So they don't already have a building. What are the top 3 pieces of advice you're going to give to a, a a new operator who's just getting into this? What what are you going to say to them before they go down the path of even getting a quote? What what's the what's the starting point?
1: Well, I guess the starting point with someone like that, again, it it all goes back to volume. I mean, everything's based on how much production are you looking to do. Someone like that typically may have access to like a records, like a record center where they maybe have some anticipated volume. They know they're going to pull X amount out per month or per year. So that helps in in determining that equipment. Then we would kind of talk about based on that tonnage that would help us determine, you know, how many loading docks should you have. How much capacity should you have to store bales? Do you want to sort paper or not? There's not a lot of that going on today, but you know, in years past, there's been a big enough price differential where some of that material was run across sort conveyors. So we have some of those conversations with them. Do they anticipate ever going the mobile route? Because you may want to plan for that to be able to dump your own mobile shreds and bail it at your own facility. So those are, I guess, would be the main questions we would you know, kind of
0: cover with them initially. And so the, all of those questions, so what what's your perceived volume? What's your loading dock capacity going to be? What's your capacity for storage? Are you going to be sorting? And do you see mobile in your future? Are all things that new operators should be asking themselves before they go out and start doing RFPs or getting pricing or, or even potentially looking at a building. I think the one that you know, has been really helpful that you've said already is the number of loading docs, because I've helped uh, over the years in my role, you know, people who think about this and they typically come to me more for, is this a good idea or not? Help me to think through it. And loading docs is the one that isn't high on my list. And it given what you've said, it sounds like it's a really massive priority that you got to be aware of and know about and be prepared to deal with, because it's such a big part of being able to both move paper into your facility and more importantly, move it out so you get paid well for it.
1: Yeah. And and often it's challenging to find a building that has both, that has ground access and dock access. I mean, that's, that's a, a specific thing that not all buildings have. Right. You know, a lot of right. distribution warehouses and things only have dock access. So that's, you know, if you're going to do both, that's kind of a requirement. Without ground access, it makes it more challenging to install some of this equipment as well, just to get it in and out of the building. Not that it can't be done, but it 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 adds another level of challenge to it for sure
0: got it so let let's move from buying a system to actually ongoing management and maintenance of a system so i get- I guess you know this is a obviously a major investment if somebody from in their shredding business decides to do a plant based system, it's building plus equipment how does how do you encourage people to to make sure they leverage that investment or amplify that investment versus it becoming a train wreck because you know a lot of people don't understand equipment don't work well with equipment they they might have a business mind but they don't have an equipment mind if that makes sense what what are some of the ways people can can leverage the investment they've made in their equipment uh for the long haul what are are your thoughts on that well you you kind of hit a, a
1: sweet spot there with you know a lot of people are business minded and aren't necessarily mechanically minded so so sometimes the equipment itself gets kind of forgotten about um and some of the operators depending on the the employees i mean some employees are great some aren't we we all understand that but the maintenance of the equipment is is crucial and that it's done daily or weekly or whatever your specific equipment requires that preventative maintenance is I can't stress that enough how important that is because we get phone calls here weekly from people that that have issues that could be avoided had you know the maintenance been being done. So having someone on your staff that is mechanically minded or a vendor that can maybe come in on a, a some frequency to at least make sure that the daily you know lubrication and things like that is being taken care of, or someone within your team that actually does a checkoff sheet, we offer you know maintenance checkoff sheets for a lot of our equipment for a daily, weekly, quarterly, yearly type thing. We also offer preventative maintenance programs where we'll send a tech out, you know, once a year or twice a year to kind of go through the machine from front to back and, and kind of give you a heads up of things that we see that may be starting to wear, give you an understanding of perishable items you should keep on your shelf, like belts and fuses and and simple things that can cause you downtime that are literally, you know, inexpensive parts. But after you add overnight shipping and downtime it
0: becomes a pretty expensive ordeal so so, so those... let, let before you go on let's go because because i think this was really interesting because a lot of people go well it's machinery it should just work but give me an example of what would have been a simple maintenance issue that turns into a massive expense and not just the cost of not the machinery now working, sure. but but what's what's an example where people go, you know, it, it's so easy. it's like all of us with our health. Like, you know, we don't really go figure things out until we get the diagnosis. But but give me some examples or a major example of a massive cost that could have been saved by daily or weekly maintenance. A, a simple one would
1: be a main bearing on any shredder. They, they all require frequency of lubrication, you know, typically daily, if not daily, every like 20 hours. And if that, if people just simply fail to do that, I mean, that literally turns into thousands of dollars, if not tens of thousands of dollars, because then you have to do a kind of a complete teardown on a machine to replace that bearing. Really, um, So those, so those type of things can, can really lead to some really costly mistakes. And if those maintenance practices are done, there, there would never be any reason for that bearing to fail. I mean, it would, it should run for a hundred years. I mean. We have equipment that's forty years old that is still operational because the people that have that do take care of it and understand that. So that's part of it. Is
0: you know that's probably one of the main things. So a simple bearing, like putting oil or grease on a bearing, um, yeah, is the difference between a ten to it, twenty thousand dollar potential it, nightmare. Th- this also sounds funny, but it's it's not, and
1: we've seen it happen multiple times. Is we go to a customer site and say, "Where's your grease gun?" and they'll bring it over, and, and the thing's empty. The, the the guy's probably been pumping the thing for six months, but there's no grease in it. So, so obviously he thinks he's doing his job, but he's not. I mean, that's, it, it sounds crazy, right? But no, but I've, that, I've seen that's, it multiple times. <laughs> yeah,
0: that, that's so. the thing that like when I'm, that so often happens, which is there's a whole bunch of assumption, but there's not a process or a checklist, which is why, you know, pilots get on planes and they have to go through checklists. Doctors sure. go into surgery with checklists. A lot of times with equipment, you go it should just run. But just yes. knowing that the grease gun could be empty means did you check? Like, yeah, did yeah. you check off yeah. on the on your checklist that the grease gun is full when you actually grease the equipment? Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. So any other any other kind of things you see from your perspective on the on the service side that come as a result that that really amplify the ability to have that equipment lasts 40 years? What else can people be doing or should people be thinking about related to it?
1: Just general cleaning often helps too. I mean, just cleanliness. I mean, obviously turning paper dusty. Even with dust collection systems and things that we have today, there's still dust generated. In electric motors and things that are covered in dust, it's kind of like wrapping a blanket around yourself in the summertime. It's not, it's not mm. good for it over long periods of time. So simple things like blowing that stuff off, making sure it's not covered at you know, can prevent a fire and it can also prolong the life of some of that equipment. The other thing I guess would be like oil changes on gearboxes and things like that. Shredders are operated in a tough environment. I mean they're doing a tough job. So paying attention to that, you know, oil in their gearboxes and things and changing that on the required
0: intervals is becomes pretty crucial. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's really helpful. So you, you guys do a lot of different types of equipment and you're you're an engineer too and engineers are always like figuring new stuff out, but I, I'm interested from your perspective, what are some cool innovations or things that you're seeing show up on the horizon that are particularly exciting or interesting beyond basically where we are today? Because where we are today is pretty cool. There's some cool stuff that, yeah. you know, is yeah. happening, but what do you see in the future? What, you know, what do you see coming? You know, if we we sort of had a ability to step five to seven to 10 years into the future, what do you think is going to be happening with equipment? What's changing? What's evolving? I
1: mean, the biggest involvement in equipment is probably on the electronics side. I
0: mean, you're seeing obviously more,
1: more sensors and things being applied. People want to collect data off of these tread systems. They want to they want to understand. They want to be able to know when the motor is going to fail because they've been watching it for ten years and they know exactly when it's going to fail, you know, to the second. They want to have sensors on bearings and things like that, so that instead of Physically going through a checklist, you know, a computer will tell you, hey, someone's not doing this properly, or there's an issue going on with bearing number four. We're seeing requests for more and more of that. Um, oh, so wow. I'd say that'll probably be more of the bigger innovations is on the the controls and sensor side, adding more and more of that stuff to shredding equipment. Um, and so
0: is, is that, while it's potentially out there, are there already elements of that that are already being implemented now? Like are are you actually putting this into equipment already? Oh certainly. Certainly. We've got some shredding systems that we
1: monitor the the motor loads every second that they're operational. And ours is more so from a, a jam perspective. We're trying to understand how frequently the machine jams and, and what it's shredding so that we can continue to refine our designs and our hook designs and, and things like that to to optimize that machine is really what that what that boils down to. Overall, in a full system, it'll help maintenance teams and everyone else with with these things that maybe were a manual checklist before. It'll automate some more of that stuff and hopefully catch issues before they become catastrophic.
0: Mm, Yeah. is, is Is there potential of sensors that can measure whether there's grease in the bearings?
1: Sure. Yeah, they can measure.
0: It's, they can measure like you know friction loads and heat. Obviously, heat's
1: a big indication if there's no right. grease, you're gonna have you know added heat. So that's one of the biggest areas they would monitor and, and okay. be able to kind of tip you off that somebody's not maintaining that properly.
0: Got it. So there's there's sensors and and electronics, data driven stuff. Is there anything in terms of uh, like hard drives or SSDs or things like that that are coming up that you're seeing in the horizon?
1: yeah the the hard drive is continually evolving just we're being forced for our equipment to evolve because the the hard drives themselves are evolving i mean there's How drives so? well there's hard drives being produced today that are way more dense because they have way more storage capacity and the same footprint so they're much they're much harder to shred than the drives that were produced ten or fifteen years ago, so we're constantly evolving, you know kind of trying to keep tabs on what's coming out and making sure equipment can process and if it can't then we're we're at the drawing board trying to figure out. Okay, what's the next model we need to make to be able to handle this? Um mm. and then on the SSD side, yeah, we're seeing we're seeing more inquiries about that. Those are becoming more popular and they're gonna become more prevalent. Right now it's you know, everyone wants to follow an NSA spec and take them to two millimeter particle size. So there'll be there'll probably be some more innovations on that front to get drives down to that small particle. Hopefully at a higher volume. That's you know, that's probably the next innovation you'll see there.
0: Well, this is, this has all been really helpful just in terms of getting a sense of where we're going, what, what some of the insights you have, but I'm, I'm particularly interested because you mentioned earlier, you're an engineer by training and by profession and you run a manufacturing facility, right? You build stuff, you service stuff, you, you, you know, support stuff like that. But I'm, I'm really intrigued because, you know, a lot of, obviously the shredding industry is a service business, not that yours isn't, but. But as an engineer, you, you walk into shredding companies, how, what's your brain do? You, you get into these shredding companies, your engineering brain goes to work. And what, if you could give some, you know, unvarnished advice and it's, it's to the general mass of people, not to a specific. So, you know, you're not hurting anybody by saying this, but like, what's your engineering mind say to people to do differently than what you often see happening? How, how do you. How do you reconstruct something? Because I believe every engineer I know looks at something and goes, how do we make that more efficient, more effective, better work, more cleanly, clearly? What, what's the advice you'd give to the average shred operator who's not from the equipment side? We've already talked about that, but just from running their business.
1: Well, you're you're right. An engineer, the way you think about things is obviously systematic. I think most engineers inherently have that trait, and then they that's what they teach you in school too is really more of a, right. a systematic thought process. So, so I guess the first thing you typically would look at is just how the material flows through their facility. Are they bringing things in and out the same door? Is material crossing or people crossing paths all the time that's causing someone to stop working so that someone can get through? Uh, those I guess are the biggest things, and then you know looking at how they're a lot of times we look at how they're feeding the shredder if you know if they're doing it by hand that's one thing but there's there's many different automated ways to feed equipment and often maybe we can put a piece of equipment between their conveyor and the shredder to help with that to help meter things out or help make that a smoother a smoother transition which overall will give them more production because they won't jam their machine or overfeed or underfeed as the other thing so so mm-hmm. those would be the main things you would that catch my attention I guess when I would walk into a facility
0: well, Jeff, this has been really helpful. Lots of good stuff, lots of valuable information. And I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing this with us. I, I know I know there's a lot of cool things coming up on the horizon for this industry, and really appreciate your insights today and sharing them with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the shred coach podcast with tom adams make sure to visit theshredcoach.com for regular functional training modules directly from tom and subscribe to our email list so you can have first access to brand new stories insights and strategies from trusted shredding and business professionals